Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Natim Kwekwa. I am the moderator for today's Digital Dialogue uh, and the Communications and Community Organizer at the Civic Tech Innovation Network. For the benefit of participants who are blind or have a visual impairment, all speakers will begin with a short self-description. My name is Natim Kwekwa, coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm an African man wearing an orange top. Today, we're putting the spotlight on Imagine Tech, exploring ChatGPT's opportunities and risk for CSOs. AI chatbots like ChatGPT are all the buzz in the digital zeitgeist. Uh, the implications for many businesses and educational processes are many. Many more implications are yet to be known, but what we do know is that these platforms are changing the way we approach work and ultimately how we streamline processes in our daily work. Some important questions we are going to be asking today include how do we integrate AI chatbots in our work without losing people-centered approaches to CSO work? Uh, what are these AI chatbots likely to do for us in the future? What does this mean for job security in a society where there are limited job prospects, particularly in the global South? What does it mean for the ever-growing inequalities in our society? Will these tools become a crutch for society's ability to learn and think independently? To help us discuss these questions and more, uh, we're delighted to welcome Adeboro Odunlami, who is the Program Director at the Resilience Technologies, and Adzaiz Bobo, who is the founder of MATG, uh, and lastly, Varun Bashiakala, who is a data scientist and statistician. Each panelist will give, will be giving their five-minute input, and then we'll have some discussion and questions thereafter. I'll now hand over to Adeboro to get a started. Thank you, Nathi, and hi, everyone. It's nice to be here. Um, just a little self-description. I am a Nigerian. I'm wearing a black print dress and I have glasses on as well. So I'm a black woman. Um, so my intro remarks um, are very simple. I'll start by saying that almost everyone has an idea of the opportunities and the risks that arise as a result of you know, the use of chat GPT or other forms of generative AI tools for businesses or even in the education system, that's a common conversation. However, we must always remember that in conversations around the internet, including products on the internet, especially products that, you know, have such wide adoption, all stakeholders must be considered and that's including CSOs. And so I'll start with one very clear opportunity that arises for you, for CSOs in the global. And one of the, the, the clear opportunity here is the opportunity to contribute to policy making around AI in the global South. This field hasn't been very, very well developed all around the world, but particularly in the global South. And we see that a lot of policy issues actually arise from the use of these technologies, from the use of chat GPT or other forms of similar technologies. Uh, then it's important for you as a CSO to join that conversation. And you know the saying where they say that um, if, you know, if you're not invited to to the table, you should you know, make your own chair and bring it to the table. I would say that as well. Um, the second thing that I will speak about quickly, and I kind of already touched on it, is the risk that arises in the use of you know, chat GPT or similar technologies. Now, given that 
the nature of the work of CSOs is very people-oriented. Also, by implication, with sensitive data, it becomes extremely risky to feed these personalized data or these sensitive information into these kinds of tools without properly understanding the ramification and extent of the protection that the personal you know, data would enjoy. So, you know, it's still a, an ongoing conversation. Nobody really knows. There is a privacy policy. There are probably laws here and there, the speculations here and there. But because there's just that chance that we don't quite know what the protection um, our personalized data can enjoy. It's important that the work that we do, the people-centered work that we do is protected and the people are protected. Um, with the work that I do here at Resilience Technologies, where I'm privileged to work with uh, CSOs in Africa to strengthen their digital security resilience, one thing that we found out is that there's not a lot of well-equipped CSOs in the global south that are able to fully protect sensitive information. So given this already vulnerable situation, it's important that CSOs in their use of chat GPT or other such tools take extra precaution to say either anonymize sensitive data that it, you, know, you would feed into the tool or to altogether just desist from engaging sensitive data sets with the tool. I'll end by saying that there are benefits of this tool to CSOs. We are no longer in the age where we say that do you know stay clear of these technologies, but we've passed that age. It's you know we're in the future, and so there are benefits to CSOs, to businesses, to ev to everyone. You you know, however, as a CSO, it's important. I just want to encourage you to protect the subjects of your advocacy, and particularly to participate in building stronger systems that will create a proper environment that both would foster innovation and trust. Thank you very much. Thank you, Adebora, and I'm hoping that throughout this discussion, we'll sort of, you know, talk about the angle of, of policy um, that you, you, you're coming here with today. Now, uh, we'll go ahead now and, and speak to Edzai and sort of look at his angle. Go ahead, Edzai. Uh, thank you very much, Nati. Uh, my name is Edzai Cornelius Strobo. I am based in Johannesburg. I am a 41-year-old male, and I'm wearing a black t-shirts and glasses. Today, I'm representing the entrepreneurs that are actually creating solutions uh, using ChatGPT and GPT-3, the framework that underlies the, the interactions through AI that you're experiencing through ChatGPT. So the popularity of ChatGPT has actually democratized access to AI because AI used to be for the technical people only. But now, because of the human-friendly interface where it's conversational and it can remember conversations and you can continue with it, it has made it natural and has fit into human nature, which is uh, conversation. So just like Facebook uh, and social media, they accentuated behaviors that we have always had, that is being able to share our successes with our friends, being able to connect with friends and family. It's the same thing now. ChatGPT has just enabled us to work with information seamlessly, right? So the human computer interface has been made easy. So that means that with the democratization of access to information, 
there is now what we call a near zero marginal cost to access to information. That is, information is now readily available for those that are online. So that is on condition that you're online. So this is a good thing because that means that information is not expensive for other people compared to uh, the privileged ones, right? That means that everyone has access to the best database of information in the, that the world can offer. The only problem that has happened is that uh, not enough people in the global South have been part of the data generating process. So you find when ChatGPT was opened, a lot of people in the global North actually participated uh, by using ChatGPT and not enough people in the global South did the same. So that means that the inherent biases that were there from the original uh, corpus, that is the original data that was used to build ChatGPT, and then uh, the reinforcement learning that happened from humans as people were using, because basically what we've been doing is we've actually been teaching ChatGPT by using it. So that is uh, a problem. So we need uh, these companies like OpenAI and others that are in the AI space to be, to be deliberate in collecting African and global South data. So that is one thing that is important. Then reading uh, posts and comments and opinions that are being made by people, you find that people are treating AI like it's a domain, like it's a subject domain, but we should actually realize that there is a fundamental change that has happened by the democratization of AI. AI is ubiquitous. It's in everything we do. It's, it permeates every facet of life. So it's a tool that helps us and enhances us enhances our productivity, but it's not in one domain. It's not in one field. It's not a subject. It's not bounded by anything. It is seamless across all facets of life. So that means that whatever it is that you're doing at any given time, you might actually realize that there's AI embedded in the background without you even realizing. So it's important for you to understand that. And then, the other thing to realize is that in as much as AI has changed uh, and improved our productivity, it does not understand what it's writing. These models are language models that know how to write, right? They know how to generate words, right? So there's a probabilistic uh, mechanism where it can generate the next word going on like that. And we have to realize that we as humans are still the custodians of high entropy thinking, high entropy creativity, right? We are the ones who still can solve the hard problems. In fact, the AI is actually reactive because the AI can only respond to a prompt. So that means that its response is a function of your, your prompt, right? So whatever you command it or ask it to do, that is what it's going to do. So as a CSO, how can you use it to improve your life? Right. First of all, 
accept that this thing is here to stay. Right. Every and it's very interesting because Kay just mentions there that, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to wrap. I'm going to wrap now. That Kay right. is talking about that the you know that access we already have access now, um, but we do expect that in the future uh, private companies will uh, sort of privatize, uh, and now this will be will sort of further the inequalities that you've sort of started talking about, um, and, and and so we're going to go back to that and, and sort of talk about how we uh, prevent that from happening. So. Uh, Adeboro did speak about policy, right, and and how that sort of can influence access and sort of deal with the inequalities um, that you've now spoken to. So we'll go back to that uh, when we do have the discussion together. Thank you, Adzai. Uh, so we're going to go now to um, our next speaker, who also has a, a different angle to talk about um, the, the, this particular subject that we have. And he's going to sort of drill into to talk about the history of AI and where it started. Uh, in fact, before I, I, I start doing things, I start talking on his behalf. Varun is already here. Varun, do you want to go ahead and do this? Hi, everyone. Yes, thank you, Nathi. My name is Varun. I'm an Indian-American man joining in from Berlin. I'm wearing a light blue shirt, have a beard, and, sh and short black hair that's turning gray at an alarming rate. <laughs> Obviously, chat GPT is so new that it's tough to predict what sort of challenges and opportunities it will present. But much like the methodology that algorithms use to predict the future, I thought it would be informative and useful and helpful for all of us to take a look at the past to help ground this discussion about what could be coming down the road. So in that vein, I'd like to briefly contextualize this with a bit of history, as Nathi just mentioned. This is a photo from IBM showing a 1964 mainframe computer room full of buttons and keys and switches. And around this time, experts, including labor scholars, sociologists, others, speculated quite optimistically what datafication and engineering and technological innovation um, would bring us, that it would liberate us from the constraints of industrialized economics. And in doing so, they painted a picture for what computing and the internet would bring us. This photo was also taken in the 1960s and shows people swimming and chatting, lounging around a pool on a sunny day, basically just chilling and enjoying their lives. Um, maybe that's true for some people. When I think about my life in the future with ChatGPT, I don't envision one in which I suddenly have more free time having automated all the mindless tasks on my agenda. But I think the point is that the internet at large has afforded us a lot of conveniences, but it's also created a number of problems. And I think that's the case with digital technologies in general, and ChatGPT is no exception. They've solved some problems and created others. And we've seen this before, particularly when on the cusp of what feels like a technological turning point. All right, this slide shows two statements. The first one is from 2012, from Mark Zuckerberg's statement of intent to take Facebook public. And the second one is from OpenAI's blog from exactly one week ago today. Zuckerberg wrote, we often talk about inventions like the printing press and the television. By simply making communication more efficient, they led to a complete transformation of many important parts of society. They gave, a, they gave more people a voice. They encouraged progress. They changed the way society was organized. They brought us closer together. Just a week ago, OpenAI wrote, we want AGI, that is artificial general intelligence, um, to empower humanity to maximally flourish in the universe. We don't expect 
in the future to be an unqualified utopia, but we want to maximize the good and minimize the bad, and for AGI to be an amplifier of humanity. So although OpenAI's statement is slightly more tempered, um, they both have a very optimistic take on technology and technology's role in our lives. Next slide, please. Here's another example from those same two sources. Zuckerberg wrote, we believe building tools to help people share can bring a more honest and transparent dialogue around government that could lead to more direct empowerment of people, more accountability for officials, and better solutions to some of the biggest problems of our time. OpenAI wrote, generally speaking, we think more usage of AI in the world will lead to good, and we want to promote it. We believe that democratized access will also lead more to more and better research, decentralized power, more benefits, and a broader set of people contributing new ideas. So as you can see, both 10 years ago and today, the creator of these technologies evangelized their democratizing forces. Um, but I think that lofty vision as the internet of the internet as a democratizing force never really came to fruition, particularly in the global south. And I'm inclined to believe that it will suddenly become true now with the emergence of ChatGPT. But I think it's not all bad news either. Next slide, please. ChatGPT does present us with a number of opportunities like accessibility, like in terms of efficiency and automating rote tasks, like in helping people upskill. And I would just add a fourth here briefly, which is that um, with the presence of ChatGPT, I think it is an opportunity for civil society organizations in the global South to set the standard for what they deem ethical and what they deem human centric if they choose to incorporate ChatGPT into their, into their work. Next slide, please. But obviously there are a lot of challenges as well. Just very briefly, I think we'll see a surge in online scams. Um, ChatGPT has already spurred a revived conversation around labor rights, issues around job, job displacement, concerns about digital sovereignty for the global South, privacy issues, um, some of which have been briefly mentioned and um, exacerbating existing issues with respect to the digital divide. Um, I'm happy to answer questions about these and elaborate on them during the Q&A later, but for now, um, thanks so much for your attention. Right, thank you so much, Varun. Um, now, so I'm going to call the, the whole panel to sort of uh, to, to come together now so that we can have a, um, a, a dialogue a, um, between the, the, the four of us here. And I'm very interested in, in, in some of the things that we were talking about. And, and I think the, the sort of theme that's coming out here is that, you know, we want to democratize, democratize the, or in fact, we've been democratizing technology and we want to further democratize um, these uh, AI chatbots. What, as I was saying before, is that like there's internet biases, right, because of inequalities already that exist. And you're saying we must teach this AI platforms how to sort of engage with us, right? Um, but somebody here on the chat is talking about how, you know, there's, there's still fear around, you know, data protection, hesitance around giving away their data. And so because of that hesitance, particularly in the global south, do you think we will ever get over those internet biases? So I think that uh, right now it's murky waters because no one uh, has actually thought about who owns the data. Uh, is it the prompter? Who, uh, and or is it the AI that responded? Who owns the data? So yes, I know Bing, uh, th Microsoft through Bing, have tried to attribute, but still it's not good enough. So it will take some time, uh, of which I think 
the regulations in Europe around GDPR uh, are a good start. We could use that as a base to actually think about uh, what this means for us, you know? And uh, I see a situation as well. If this, this, these AIs are not trained on data from the global south, we'll have a situation almost uh, analogous to the search engine era where if you are not, if your results are not on top in, in, on Google, then you are not discoverable. So right now, uh, the question is, are you discoverable on ChatGPT? Because if everybody is using ChatGPT as a source of information, then uh, it will be in my interest as a, as a business owner to, be a, to want to be found on ChatGPT. So I will definitely give my information there so that uh, it serves my, my, my self-interest. And just in, in relation to this question, and I hope Adi Boro can come into this, you know, she's here now. Um, you know, there's, there's a question that was sent to us before, um, and I was talking about the, you know, sort of privacy risks uh, involved with uh, AI bots like ChatGPT. Uh, the question says, we have literally seen US legislators deciding that they can access menstrual tracking apps to build cases against women they suspect of using of, of having abortion. What should civil society be saying about how can or can it all at all the EU model of data privacy legislation as in the EU AI strategy be used in digital diplomacy to further uh, privacy rights for activists? So I think that's a sort of a policy question that perhaps Adeboro can, can, can take on. So, I mean, as I said in my intro remarks, privacy issues are actually a big, big deal regarding chat GPT and similar tools. I think the first place you want to look at would be, I mean, if I were a journalist, I'd probably look at the privacy policy of the platform itself and say, okay, what does it say? And when you look at the privacy policy that OpenAI has provided, it doesn't look, you know, on the surface, it doesn't look fishy. You know, it, it tells you how it collects data. It tells you what personal data means to the platform. It tells you who it shares the data to and, you know, provides many of those things. But um, there have been warnings by data privacy experts just to be careful. I see that there is, a, I think there's another question on the, on, the, on the chat as well about, you know, data security, data security and digital security and data privacy. And yes, it's a big issue. I would say if I, if I was talking to just like a random person to say, just be careful with the kind of information that you feed to it. For instance, we see with something similar like a Clearview AI where regulators rain down on them because they had you know, surfed the net because they're using the large language model, right? They need lots of this data. So it's not just going to be data, probably not just going to be data that you provide them with. However, this is for, this is information for users as CSOs, how should you be thinking about, you know, engaging these conversations? One, I think that CSOs, especially CSOs in the global South, which is what we're discussing here, should continue to bring the heat as we, as usual, you know, that's our work. And how do you do this? One would be to <clears throat> keep reminding, um, you know, OpenAI about the policy standards that, that are expected of them, right? So there are policy standards that are to be expected and you have to keep reminding them and also keep educating people. It's a big task for CSOs to engage in education and enlightenment. So it's important to, you know, carry out that role and, and educate people on how to use these things responsibly and how to use them safely as well. Um, next is to demand that more responsibility be taken 
by the company to ensure that its platforms are used um, properly. And so that's just you know, the, the, the work that CSOs are, are required to do. And as to the question of you know, the EU AI strategy, yes, I think the EU is you know, forward thinking with many of its laws on privacy. I know Edda already mentioned, mentioned the, the GDPR, even with the GDPR, I think that's where AI becomes really interesting because even with the GDPR, for instance, there is the right to be forgotten, right? If I said to you know, you know, OpenAI, look, I want all my data that you've collected, every single thing that is you know, on your chat GPT, please return them. How effective is that really? That's the question to be asked because the data set has already been used to train, train the, um, the tool so even if it's returned to you, it's already, you know, it has already contributed. So that's something to think about. But there is an EU AI strategy that is working on right now. And honestly, I think that, like uh, I also said, concerning the GDPR, it's a good tool. It's a good resource for CSOs in the global south to read and look at and maybe follow the policymaking process so that it can serve as a base um, a resource to help them think about how to conduct advocacy or to help us think about how to conduct advocacy. For instance, the um, AI strategy, uh, just one of the things in the strategy, it classifies risks into different levels. And that, I thought that was really interesting because we cannot, we cannot probably apply as much force or the same level of force to all kinds of risks. So there are unacceptable risks in the designing or in the creation of um, these AI tools. So say for instance, ChatGPT tells you, you go on ChatGPT and say, hey, what should I do today? And ChatGPT says, hey, you know what? Jump off a building. That's an unacceptable risk because we know that the kinds of people, I mean, the kinds of people that will be using this platform is, or rather ChatGPT is open to all kinds of people. And some people may say, Anything it tells me to do, I'm going to do it. So that's an unacceptable risk. And so that's something that's also something that can help us to think, maybe not just even privacy, but a range of policy issues that arise that can yeah. help us to think about, you know, how to conduct um, advocacy around the matter. So I, I like that uh, Claude Alain in, in the uh, sort of in the chat here, is sort of pushing back against some of the stuff we, we, we're talking about now, particularly around, around risk. I think we're talking a lot about risk. Uh, we should also focus on innovation. If we start with regulation, nothing will happen. We should not paralyze creativity with our policy mindset. Um, so I think that's a, that's a very interesting take. And I'm, I'm gonna come to you, to, to you guys to sort of answer that. But there's also another question around what are some of the practical ways in which you can quickly engage people from the global South in informed discussion about AI uh, and society to enable diverse communities. Uh, influence its development and deployment? How can you build on or adapt humanitarian participatory approaches? Uh, so I'm gonna to come to you, Varun. I don't know if, you, if you're, you're very comfortable with this one, but I'm gonna to come to you and sort of, uh, let's talk about what, uh, you know, how do we sort of move away from the, what, what, what she said, the, the legislation or regulation mindset um, that we already sort of starting with now. Yeah, thanks for this question. I am realizing over the course of this conversation, I think I I may have quite a a different view on some of these matters. You know, um, um, I, you know, in the spirit of I think the original view of the internet of you know, I am also generally of the belief that um, the less regulation, the better. The fewer restrictions, the better. The more freedom we can preserve on the internet, 
the better. Um, as Adeboro just mentioned, I think, um, you know, when we asked this question of what can organizations in the global south do, I think, as, as you mentioned, Adeboro, you know, one is to bring the heat, um, one is to demand more of the companies. Um, obviously, um, you know, another option, as kind of you were saying, is to um, advocate for more or stricter or, you know, or, or new policies that are better enforced. Um, but I think that to go back to one of the threads that was mentioned earlier, another option is to choose not to use these technologies. Um, I realize that might seem quite radical, radical, but just because they're available doesn't mean that they need to be used. Um, I think if anyone in the world should be healthily suspicious about um, these companies, you know, for-profit companies that I, you know, I should mention, OpenAI started as a nonprofit. They end up um, refashioning themselves as a for-profit company. Um, these are for-profit companies who um, I think we should all have a healthy level of suspicion about how our data is being used. That example about um, people seeking abortion in the United States is, I think, a case in point. Um, I think we all are familiar with stories over the years, now such a mainstream topic about the ways in which our information is being used in problematic ways in the hands of the entities who own that information when we feed them this information for profit companies. Um, so that's, that's one. I think a healthy amount of um, suspicion is in order. Um, this topic of bias was already raised that um, these models are trained on a corpus of data that's not very representative of um, lived realities in the global south. And I think in the process, end up reinforcing Western cultural um, and ideological hegemony, um, simply because that's just what they've been fed. Um, so I think, you know, bias is another piece. Um, we haven't really unpacked this, but this is a whole other topic itself, which is um, the collection of labor violations that were uh, that occurred in the construction of these companies. Um, often, um, these technologies rely on a lot of hidden labor, exploited labor, largely from the global south that goes um, undercompensated and underacknowledged. And um, I think it's also important to remember that um, um, these companies are vying for the offline populations in the world. For much of North America, much of Europe, uh, these are communities already online, entrenched in these online ecosystems. Um, that is not the case for chunks of the global south. And it is, I think, when you take a step back, not such a clear decision to simply participate in these technologies just because they exist. Um, and so I think that that's an important point to keep in mind. You know, if we're interested in doing something like humanitarian aid work, for instance, um, I think it's not so clear cut, in my opinion, at least, that simply leveraging a solution like ChatGPT because it exists is actually in line with the principles of something like um, what humanitarian aid is trying to um, achieve in the first place. That's respecting the autonomy and freedom from influence and human rights of all of its subjects in the process. Thank you, Varun. So now the question from uh, in the chat uh, from Hamid uh, from Central Africa uh, about, um, you know, he's saying, how can ChatGPT be used to empower and amplify the voices of marginalized communities in the global south? And I think that's an important question. And how can you avoid reinforcing existing power dynamics uh, or perpetuating harmful stereotypes? Um, I don't know if uh, Ed's eye can take this on and probably some avoid, uh, provide some uh, examples for us uh, as, uh, as uh, Hamid has asked it. Sure, thank you very much. So 
Uh, just as an example of uh, application of ChatGPT in, in the global south. So I have uh, a platform called MathsG where it's like Quora basically where students have gone in to ask questions and we give them answers. But then you find that uh, with the emergence of GPT-3, uh, we actually are able to give better service to our, to our students because we can give them 24-7 instant answers. But instead of taking jobs, we actually had to employ more people to be able to verify what is being generated by the AI. So that means that we have harnessed the power of ChatGPT, but there is a positive in that because we are employing more people. Now, when it comes to uh, enhancing innovation, and as, as, as somebody has said in the chat, and making sure that this innovation is inclusive of the global South, I believe that uh, the OEMs, the technology original equipment manufacturers, like your Googles, your Huawei's, your Microsoft's have a pivotal role to play because they already have presence in the global South. They already run programs. Like for example, Google has has committed $1 billion to training entrepreneurs and uh, helping people with things like digital marketing. So within those programs, they can actually liaise with CSOs, with entrepreneurs, with government entities to make sure that there is transfer of knowledge on how to harness the power of, uh, of AI. So I'll, uh, uh, there's a program, for example, in South Africa where to try and redress the problems of apartheid, they have come up with something called the Broad-Based Economic Empowerment Program. But you find that your, your, your big tech OEMs are not are exempt, are exempt from that process, but they have a program called the Equity Equivalence Program, where they are mandated by government to offer free courses uh, on these uh, technologies that they are bringing in. So, it's a, it's a model that can actually be used by every other country to ensure that it is part of their CSI, a corporate social uh, initiative, to make sure that the people on the ground that they are serving understand these technologies and can use them and can build on top of uh, their solutions. So like we have been uh, fortunate to build stuff on top of the Google Cloud for free because Google has that program in Africa. So I believe that there are ways of uh, making sure that the, the innovation diffuses into all uh, corners of the earth. Right, so I mean, I, I want to sort of come back to the, the very, the, the civic of it all, right? The, the, um, because I think what, what brought us all together here is, is we want to understand how we can use these chatbots or these uh, AI tools uh, to, uh, in, in our CSOs and your work, right? Um, how can we, I mean, what are some of the best ways to do this, to integrate uh, AI chatbots in, in the work that we do without losing uh, the people-centered approaches of, you know, of CSOs and, 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 and NGOs um, across the, the global south? I, I don't know, I'll start with you, Adeboro, and we'll go to Varun and, and Etai thereafter. Right, okay. So um, I think in the, we can totally use them in the general ways that are be, they are being used by organizations right now right now and now and businesses um, there are communication needs for one that I'll take that I'll take that part 
that um, NGOs have. And for instance, you typically have to do press releases, articles, blogs, emails, things like that. Um, it helps you to say, cut the time, the resources that you would have otherwise used, you know, in writing these things from scratch. So that's a case you use for, you can use it for your communication needs. Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I, I started my career in the private sector, worked for a number of years in Silicon Valley before coming over to do public interest work, public interest technology work. And I was surprised when I started in the CSO world, how occasionally we write extremely long reports. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I occasionally have found myself in this situation in which I needed to read some of these extremely long reports. And I think internally, something like ChatGPT can be very useful for summarizing content. Um, of course, I think it's best used if it's a starting off point. There's probably a lot of reduction. It's quite reductive to summarize text, I would imagine, on the whole. But I think uh, perhaps it's a good place to get a broad overview of something from the get-go um, and then maybe dive in more deeply to particular sections that are of interest. Um, that's one idea just off the top of my head. And, um, you know, it's ChatGPT can be really useful for interacting with end users, whether that's answering commonly asked questions or um, obviously, you know, within communications like Adebora was just mentioning. I think that there is some degree of rote work that is just a fact of life when you work in an NGO or a civil society organization that um, something like ChatGPT can help relieve. Very interesting you know, whether or not you guys would recommend this for, for um, you know, NPOs. And, and is this something you highly recommend? But uh, Edzai, uh, what's your take? So, I mean, traditionally, uh, funders of uh, NPOs have complained that the bulk of the money goes to admin, administration, administrative activities and doesn't filter down to the beneficiaries. So I think uh, we shouldn't lie to ourselves that ChatGPT has brought in uh, almost 10x productivity. Uh, and it is important for every NPO to actually self-introspect and look at their processes end to end and say, what is it that we can actually automate, right? If it's press releases, if it's uh, writing reports, if it's, you know, so we have to be uh, proactive and then rearrange our organizations to, to optimize around the technology that uh, that helps us improve, right? So uh, just reading around, I see a lot of organizations, uh, for-profit and non-profits, a lot of them are used because of the risk inherent in using chat GPT because it sometimes goes off the mark. A lot of people are using the safest method, which is you take your documentation, that is that the ones that you have within your organization and, and upload it onto ChatGPT and then generate stuff using your information, right? So that is one thing that you can use safely and be 100% sure that what I'm getting is factual information. And also let's not forget that we live in a predominantly capitalistic uh, uh, society and capitalism is a system that is premised on the idea of being able to convert information into actionable knowledge. So here we have a chance to say information is available. How can you as, a, as an organization or as an individual turn that into actionable uh, knowledge? 
And that is where your creativity comes in. All those skills that uh, they were talking about at the World Economic Forum to say 21st century skills like uh, communication, critical thinking, curiosity, this is the time to use those things because your prompt might not be as good as mine and mm -hmm. we could be prompting the same thing, but getting uh, diametrically different results. So it's important to use your creativity. Thank you. Now, I'm, I'm, I want to say, I mean, some people, uh, especially around this discussion of AI, people are worried about jobs, uh, it's I. Do you think this, you know, will take away jobs or is this, um, is, are, are we worried for nothing? No, definitely it will take away jobs, but other jobs will be created. There were so many jobs that didn't exist 10 years ago that came with uh, the emergence of, uh, of social media. When blockchain came along, there were some jobs that were created that were never there. So mm -hmm. I believe that uh, as a species, we are, we are self-regenerating uh, at any point in time. And this is just one of the milestones in the journey of the human uh, species. And we have to make sure that we strive to create jobs. This is a tool that can help us. Imagine if the, uh, the horse carriage people had blocked the car from going forward because it was faster, because it was more efficient, then it would have been a problem. So let's embrace it. Let's uh, keep it safe as, to the extent that we can, but let's be creative and come up with new roles. For example, if you see my LinkedIn, I'm now called CEO and prompt engineer because I, that's what I do nowadays. Thank you. That's a new title. I've never heard yes. prompt engineer before. <laughs> Congratulations on the new title, uh, Etai. Now, there was a question that was directed to uh, specifically to Varun before. Now, perhaps I can just kind of move it around uh, and, and, and see if the panel have any opinions about this, particularly around the work that they do. Uh, there was a question about saying, what are the top three rules everyone should follow? when using ChatGPT or other LLM-based uh, tools. So, you know, as somebody who's worked in Silicon Valley, Varun, you will take that question and sort of um, will also tackle it from a policy angle, from an entrepreneurial angle, from a, from a data angle. So let's start with Varun and what are your sort of three rules um, when you want to engage with uh, tools like these? Yes, I think um, number one, don't feed it any private information, first and foremost. Um, you know, if you're working on something for your company, um, try not to copy and paste sensitive company information in there or even co your company's code. Um, so don't feed it any private information, I'd say number one. Um, number two, maybe just be aware of some of its limitations. ChatGPT was trained on a set of data that ran into 2021, but not beyond. So if you're trying to learn something about what happened in the news yesterday, um, you're gonna see it be of limited use just simply because of the set of data it was trained on, not totally, um, not, not useful, not very relevant, not well-equipped for dealing with anything related to current affairs. Um, and I'd say finally, don't trust it um, blindly, in parentheses, blindly. Um, don't take results at face value. I think there are many of examples now all over the internet about um, demonstrating ChatGPT, um, returning information that's known to be false um, or questionable. Um, so I would say, you know, use it as a discovery tool, but don't blindly, don't blindly trust it. Right. Um... Borrow, what is your sort of take uh, on this? Um, what some of the three, rule, three rules 
um, to to you know before you engage. I don't know, you can do one or two, but what are okay. your 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 okay. talk? I have just one. I think Varun took like all the words right out of my mouth. I think he's Thank now a policy expert. Um, I, I would probably say, and, and this is a rule that I personally use, is don't let it like steal your creativity. So a lot of people just have substituted their brains for um, chat GPT and they just say, chat GPT, do anything for me. Um, don't let it inhibit your creativity because at the end of the day, you are going to, even working within an organization, you're going to need to build yourself. So yes, you're training an AI tool to provide information so you can get other tasks done. But at the end of the day, are you building yourself? So that's what, that's, that's what I wanted to add. Right, thank you. Um, Ed Zai? Yes, uh, so, so for me, uh, I actually think that you should be aware when you're using ChatGPT because so many apps have it embedded and it's, you, you won't know you're using ChatGPT at times. So it's not necessarily going to the, to the ChatGPT OpenAI website. So know when to, when you're using, so be vigilant, right? Uh, and also know that this is the beginning of a, a revolution, a, a technological revolution that is real and embrace it. So be vigilant. And uh, no, this is the beginning, accept it and embrace it. Yeah, thank you, that's me. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. what do you guys say you recommend uh, these AI tools? Uh, let's start with Varun. I want to hear everybody on record say, I recommend it, I don't. We'll come back to you when they, they do it all. Varun, <laughs> do you recommend these tools for uh, CSOs? I neither recommend, I neither recommend nor um, don't recommend. I realize that sounds like a total non-answer, but I, I, for me, truly it's a question of values. You know, if you are, for instance, a CSO in the global south that works on issues of labor rights, given the gross labor rights violations that occurred in the production of technology like ChatGPT, um, I think it's totally fair to make the case that perhaps um, if an organization like were like yours were using ChatGPT, maybe you're doing your cause at the end of the day more harm than good by um, using a product of something that you're actively trying to advocate against. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, if you're an organization with a different set of values, um, sure, I think that there are many things that ChatGPT could um, help help you and your organization save time with. But I think at the end of the day, for me, it's really an underlying question of um, what are your values and what fundamentally are the trade-offs involved um, in your decision to use or to not use ChatGPT. Right, right. Adiboro? Right, so I recommend the responsible use of ChatGPT. I we know have you we have your record saying you recommend this. So don't remove the responsible, I said. Uh, the responsible <laughs> use of ChatGPT without sacrificing also your creativity whilst you use it. And I also recommend, um, how do I want to put this? I know there's someone in the comment section has complained about me talking about policy regulation, but these things are actually for your safety. I'm not advocating for over-regulation. I'm advocating for positive regulation that protects innovation, protects your rights. So I recommend for more adoption of chat GPT um, when there are better policies and checks and balances in place. Right, I I recommend uh, the use of chat GPT. I have your and... record, I have your record. <laughs> And I hope that the policymakers can keep up with the with the progress that humanity is making, 
And I, the, my only worry is where, if there exists a situation whereby almost every piece of content on the internet is generated by, um, by chat GPT or any of those AIs, then are the AIs going to be learning on, uh, on AI generated data? So that could be a vicious cycle. And what does it mean when we have more generated content than human content online? Thank you. That's, that's an interesting uh, take there. We're going to wrap uh, in a bit, uh, but uh, before we wrap, I'd like you to just get uh, some of your closing thoughts, Varun, Etai, and Adaboro. Uh, I've loved uh, seeing the, the chats. Um, it's, it's been very exciting there. People have a lot of opinions about these AI chatbots. Um, please, we are going to have this recording later on. I saw somebody saying that we only have the recording. This we'll have the recording later on online on our YouTube channel. So do check those out later. Uh, I want to hear some of your closing thoughts, Adeboro, uh, uh, just about uh, these um, ChatGPT and other similar AI tools. Well, I would have just maybe repeated what I just said, but I, there's a question that actually interests me in the chat box, which I, I may just touch on, which is about the use of these tools for children. And mm. you know, the truth is that it's the same thing with already existing technologies. The, the, the real work is on the parents, the real work is on the caregivers. So whilst you know, CSOs actually take out time to make sure that they advocate to the companies and to the governments to say, how can we protect our children in the use of these technologies? I think that CSOs in the Global South also need to start thinking about advocacy towards parents and caregivers where you educate and enlighten them. Um, for instance, chat GPT uh, says that it doesn't provide its services to anyone below 13 years old. But at the same time, when you're signing up, it doesn't ask you for your age or anything like that. So it's very important that we protect the vulnerable people around us who are children because anything is truth to them, anything's objective truth to them. So that's right. also, I just want to wrap up with that to say it's very important that CSOs conduct advocacy also towards um, parents and caregivers for the right. vulnerable community. And that, uh, one minute. Yes, so yeah, as, as I've said before, let's embrace this, uh, this technology. Let's, uh, let's be as creative as possible and let's not be reckless in our use uh, of these technologies as well. So the vigilance to be able to, to differentiate you know, uh, between a bot and a human being, it's a good time. Thank you. Thank you, Atai. Varun, quickly, please. Yes, I, my closing thoughts, I would say you vote with your participation. Um, I realize I've been quite critical, um, but I don't want to undermine at the same time what um, an awesome piece of technology this is. It is quite amazing, you know, reaching um, a million users in such a short period of time. I think anyone who's interacted with ChatGPT, there is a little bit of this kind of goosebumps moment, realizing that this is a machine. And I think there's something quite incredible about that in, in and of itself. But um, don't forget what we don't see when we use these technologies and some of the topics that have come up today about by issues of bias about how you know these are private entities that have a vested interest in getting much of the offline world online um, right. labor rights violations the ways in which our data will be used um right. in ways that we could have issues with so um realize that you vote in choosing to use it or to not and and the choice is yours thank you so much uh everybody thank you guys for uh contributing uh your thoughts uh, on this uh, subject today 